This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me today, Cam Ruslan, we have the return of, he is a communications consultant. We finally nailed it down. He is Vernon Adrian Among. Ah, thank you. Thank you, Cam. <laughs> and next, we have a first-timer here on uh, A Bit of Culture. She's a producer, a news producer at BFM. I've been trying to get her on the show for a long time. And uh, she is Danya Nair. Hello. I'm so happy you let me make my debut today on this episode. <laughs> it's fantastic to have you here. So our three topics are, topic number one is online shopping and the end of history. That's one topic, by the way. Topic number two is the best job I ever had, that's me, uh, is a Foley artist. So we're going to talk about Foley artists. And finally, topic number three is uh, memes in our culture. So topic number one, Vernon, online shopping and the end of history. Ah, okay. So, well, I decided that would be my topic this week because I've had some amazing experiences online shopping and it made me think about how it's perhaps maybe changed the way people are doing things and getting things done and acquiring stuff and becoming part of this big thing called consumerism in ways that are so easy to do because we all know that during the pandemic and everybody's locked in, online shopping basically made a quantum leap and even the most uh, ludite people in the world started to purchase tens to hundreds of dollars of ringgits of uh, shopping. And it made me think about how it's doing a lot more than what we expect it to be doing, which is just giving us things that we want to acquire. It's breaking down barriers. It's, make, it's making us you know, seize technology in ways that is making life so convenient. Um, I'll tell you what happened. I drive uh, a Jurassic Mercedes-Benz and all its rubber gaskets are all falling off because of age. And recently, you know, the, uh, the rubber fittings around the uh, radial aerial where the aerial comes out? Well, that kind of like disintegrated because the car is like 5,000 years old. And I went everywhere trying to look for it, okay? And nobody had it. And guess what? I actually found it on Shopee. <laughs> and the other thing was, because it's such a Jurassic car, the fuses were all popping and none of the mechanics could basically solve my problem. So one of them said, go to eBay and look for it there. You might find a shop, a seller in the UK. And I went, well, first of all, I needed to find out what terms I should be looking for. So I basically did an image search for the fuses because the fuses are really old. And I finally found what it was called. And I put it into the search engine of, once again, Shopee. And I found it as well. So a Malaysian seller? No, no. They were all in different... Well, actually, both were in China. Right. But the fact of the matter is, this is China. I mean, so like the shop, the factory of the world, I guess. And uh, they got to me in less than a week. And they work? I just want to, you know... I mean, I don't want to be... And you know, they work. Yeah? For, for, for more than a week? <laughs> I was blown... Well, they actually promised that it would be delivered within three weeks. Yeah. But I got them within a week. And you know, less than 30 ringgit each, you know. And uh, what was really interesting for me is the whole idea of like, you're assuming that you can't find these parts anywhere, but because of the internet and because of online shopping, you know, it's so easily attained. And it made me think about how... Life, life is good. Yeah, life is good. And, and, and it's actually 
in a way, defining us a lot more than a lot of other things. Because what we are what we shop. Let's face it, right? We are what we shop. So there you go. Yeah, so uh, Danya, first of all, um, later I'll tell you what an aerial is on a car. <laughs> Um, just, Thank you. I was a bit lost there for yeah, a second. Yeah, you, you lost down here at uh, Ariel. What? Like, Radio? What? 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 <laughs> um, so, uh, Danya, I mean, this is your. I mean, are you uh, actually? I mean, home shopping to me is still a mystery. But you're like, it, it's no big deal. Do you shop everything online? Um, I still kind of prefer going and seeing things physically, but um, definitely, I do a lot of things online. Mostly related to technology, um, like phones or earphones and things like that. Um, but I think my biggest sort of expenditure online is food. Because when you sort of, you know, I mean, Malaysians drive everywhere for food in general. But um, when, especially during the pandemic, when you were sort of stuck, you didn't have to go very far to get something that wasn't close to you. Like uh, where I live, the food choices aren't that great. And I'm saying that as someone who's very privileged to have a lot of food available to me. But um, it definitely gave me a sort of escape in a sense because I knew so many things were available to me. Um, so in that sense, the online shopping has really spoiled me. Um, I used to like cook food a lot. A lot of times I would make meals myself. And when I was younger, I used to make fun of friends who would eat out a lot. I'm like, why? It's so expensive. Just make it yourself. But now I constantly at least once a week i'll buy food <laughs> it's so bad it's just because it's so easy. easy that's the thing the online delivery makes things easy we're very spoiled you know the scene in um wally where everyone's just sitting on their chairs and not getting up we're definitely heading in that direction because you don't really need to lift a finger at this point anymore but but also we're getting used to the idea that food is cold <laughs> that's true <laughs> that yeah. hot food is not a necessity anymore if it comes no. hot that's fine yeah, I wonder, Vernon. You you would know this surely. The the what's going to happen with this is retail spaces will, if not die, then suffer enormously. And we have so many in the Klang Valley, so many shopping malls, which really require full. Uh, I mean, all the shops must be open, or it, or it looks dead. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you know, like I wanted to ask Dania, um, you know, when she. She said that she preferred, you said that you preferred going and shopping, right? Mm -hmm. But when you are in those uh, real life brick and mortar retail spaces, okay, and you come across an object, do you then refer to your handphone, your smartphone to figure out if there might, it might be available somewhere else where it's cheaper? I because there's do. this phenomenon called, yeah, you do, right? Yeah. So there's this, there's this two, there's this, this thing called web rooming and showrooming where you go into a showroom, right? And then you go into a web room to check out, you know, what the differences are. So it's actually allowing for pretty smart shopping, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And you would probably buy at the brick and mortar if you feel, yeah, you've got a good deal. So that online shopping still kind of like is involved in your purchasing of the item, even in a real life web room. So I, I, I mean, it, yeah, that's what I'm thinking that it's doing. So this whole idea of like shopping completely, you know, turned upside down. And yes, shopping malls will need to become different kinds of things. It can't be just spaces where, because as you can see nowadays, shopping malls are the public parks of yesteryear. 
families mm. go and spend the whole day there. You know, movies and the uh, amusement centers and window shopping and eating and blah blah blah. So yeah, so I think I think that conversion is yeah. To answer your question, um, which is what I can't remember now, but yeah, yeah no, 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 you, you got there. You got there, man. Well done. Well done. Hey, uh, but uh, Daniel, there was one thing that, that Vernon said earlier, which I, thought, I, I don't think is true. Breaking down barriers. Online shopping is breaking down barriers. I, if we are retreating into our spaces and we're becoming like the Wall-E characters, you know, hovering around fat on our chairs, mm-hmm. losing the use of limbs and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not that, you know, shopping malls are a, a place of, full of flash mobs and kind of like... Uh, musical dances and stuff. You know, we never talk to anybody anyway, but at least, you know, you're around people. I I, I do wonder that we're retreating into into safe, super safe spaces. I mean, I think that's, it's two opposing thoughts with online delivery and shopping in that sense, isn't it? Because it does break down barriers because you are accessing things from different countries, um, but also in the same time, you are building that phys- a physical wall, really, of not having to leave your home. So I guess at some point we're going to have to decide when, you know, how far can we push that balance because we can't just stay at home and do nothing. Mm. So it that's why I think physical stores and like like Vernon said, like physical stores exist with the online system right now. I think that's a good balance because you don't want it to tip too far on either side, you know? You don't want to be able to just like stay at home at all but also just like completely fall into the internet looking at things all the time. So I, I think it's a matter of us deciding when we need to stop and decide when we should go out and when it's easier to just do things online. Vernon, do you know when to stop? Do you know when to stop, Vernon? <laughs> well, well, I think, you know, primarily, you know, as humans, we are social animals. So we will find other ways to socialize if it's not being done in the traditional ways of shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, me, for instance, I live, I live alone and during the pandemic, my washing machine carped it okay and i've actually begun to enjoy going to the neighborhood laundromat to do my laundry (laughs) yeah because i can talk to the aunties and uncles doing the washing and stuff like that so it's become a social thing for me even though there is an option of uh, a private practice if you know what i'm saying yeah um yeah and i think i think we will find that balance uh i i don't really i mean like if if people are retreating into their you know four walls and only finding socialization through the online space there in itself is uh, probably, you know, deep seated reasons why they're not going out. And it's more than just technology taking over. It's them having certain issues that they're struggling with. And yeah. Yeah. That, that is a big topic. That's a topic for another day. We must do that. Yeah. Uh, we're going to move on though to uh, topic number two, which is Foley artist. Um, some of you may have, sat through the end of a movie and watched all those final credits, and it may have said Foley uh, work or Foley artist, and you may have wondered what that is. And I was once a Foley artist, and it's the best job I ever had. It's probably the first job I ever had. It's um, where I first started working in film when I was, what, 18 or something? And uh, I started working in the sound department. I was a sound recordist, and I went on to be a sound editor, and I did some Foley work as well. And it's the best because... Uh, so my introduction to the, the the visual medium of film was through sound. And even um, lower budget Hollywood movies do not s- skimp on the budget for the sound department because you can hear a bad movie 
until very last few years, Malaysian movies, everybody said they were bad. Really what they meant was the sound is bad. But now they're putting money into the sound, and now you think, oh, they're really good. Well, not necessarily they're really good, but, I mean, you know, they're, they're on a par. So a folio, folio artist is, very simply, is um, much of what is filmed is filmed without sound or with a guard track or with people talking in the background, people making a noise, and it's unusable. So if, let's, let's say, a fight scene, which has may have up to 50 shots, you never know, uh, you can't use the sound that was used there. So they'll edit it. And then they'll run it in a studio and a few people will run around smashing things and cracking coconuts and uh, walking in sand pits and all sorts of things to make the sound of a fight. And it's, it's such fun. It's more fun than watching the movie itself. But I, 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 um, I really want to ask the two of you if, if you've ever really noticed the sound in a film. I mean, have there been films where you think, oh, that's really good sound? Or indeed movies where you think, well, that's really bad sound. Uh, I mean, it should, it should in a way not notice sound. But um, has it ever stood out to you, Danya? Oh, I, when, when you start talking about this, the first film that sort of pop, popped into my head is this film called Hush. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's a horror film. And I think generally sound in, in horror films are really good because it adds to the intensity of a film. But what stood out in that film was the main character was meant to be deaf. So she couldn't hear whenever the person who was sort of uh, stalking her, um, she couldn't sense when he was around, but we could. So the sense of like knowing that you could hear what was happening versus knowing that she couldn't was sort of really stood out to me because I'm like, this is really good sort of sound editing in what they did. I can't really remember any movies where I didn't like the sound, but I imagine like the Star Wars movies have problems with that because I remember them saying that whenever they played with the lightsabers, the actors would make the yeah, sound. Whooshing of sounds, the, yeah, yeah, the whooshing sound. <laughs> so I imagine that th those would have had some trouble with like the sound and them having to go over and like redub those yeah. again. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll mention one of the sound effects of how they did it in Star Wars in a moment. But but Vernon, have you uh, any movies that uh, stick out to you? Well, I just went to see Mat Kilau yesterday. Oh. You know, uh, it's a one hour, 58 minute movie and one hour, 40 minutes of it is fight scenes. And so you can imagine how many papayas were chopped up um, to create the punch sounds. Um, yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> of course, it made, it made the fight scenes more dramatic than it really was. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, that, that stuck out. And I was thinking to myself like, wow, the people who did the sound must have either gone insane by the end of it or was paid a huge amount of money because uh, it was very complicated. Yeah, that was my most recent experience uh, where I thought, oh, the sound of this movie is like, um, how are they doing this? Yeah. How many pineapples or papayas were chopped up? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, lost their lives in the making of the movie. Yeah. I, uh, so it, with Star Wars, the um, the famous, uh, the, the blaster shot, you know, when they when they shoot people. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. the pew 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 <laughs> the, so the way they came up with that sound was because that was um star wars was, was a film where they really took a lot of um effort to make very good sound very mm -hmm. imaginative and new sounds so you know the the tension the wire coil tension cables you may not know this that stretch <laughs> up and are used to hold down communication towers and stuff yep they're really long so you go along to one of those and you hit it with a metal bar, and it goes pew, mm. and it, it 
it resonates all the way along the, the cable. So that is the sound that they use for the blasters. Wow, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. and so when I was in sound, I would, um, I would spend my time uh, walking around just looking at objects and thinking, oh, I wonder what it sounds like if I hit that. <laughs> <clears throat> and you remember that. And so one of the best jobs I had to do was to, um, to do the sound for um, a, a sex scene, actually. But the sex scene was happening off, <laughs> off, off camera. You couldn't see it. You couldn't see it, so um, so they said, "Okay, so I need to I need to make the sound." I now, bet you had fun. That's why it's your favorite. No, <laughs> well, whatever. No, no. This was this was. I I, I hasten so turning to add, into a different show, guy. This was an art movie, okay? So um, I did it for the art, and um, but I was very young at the time, and I hadn't even kissed a girl, so I had no idea what it, you know what what it would sound like. But I, but uh, as I say, it was all off camera. You couldn't see it, so I found a squeaky chair. And I sat on the squeaky chair and recorded that, and oh. me rocking back and forth. <laughs> wee, wee, wee. And, uh, <laughs> and then I had to go off and record individual sounds uh, of myself sort of like, I don't know, just making grunts and stuff. Where, where was this? In this is London. Or? This is okay. in London, in, in right. England when I was living there, in a previous life. And, and then you put it all together, and, I, and, and everybody's like, wow, that was really, that was <laughs> hot, hot stuff. But it was just me rocking back and forth on a, on a squeaky chair. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's good fun, and and I I would say to people, it's really interesting when you watch a movie to watch a movie with the sound off, and and gain the experience of just just the pictures, and it when you do that, it can really illuminate if the film's any good or not, if the actors acting is any good or not, but then yeah, also yeah. to watch a movie with just the sound. So like, if you watch that movie Hush, I would imagine with just the sound, it would still be very effective. Mm-mm, yep. But if it was just the picture, it would be, what are they doing now? What's going on? It's not scary. <laughs> They're <either>. miming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I just want to point out the, uh, I think one of the best movies with sound is um, Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now. Oh, yeah. But, Actually, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a fantastic movie. It was. Yeah. And he uh, recreated with his editor, famous editor, Walter Murch. The, so, for instance, that, that a lot of the Apocalypse Now is set on, um, on a motorboat going up the river. So at the end of the filming, they got that motorboat and they put it in his garden. And they would then run around it, throwing, firing arrows at it and, and shooting guns and bashing things, recreating the scene. Because there would be scenes where you would have, say, five people shouting, you would have the sound of an engine. You would have the sound of a boat on water. You have the sound of bullets coming at you. It was very important that you, you kind of feel them coming at you. Yeah. And also the yeah. sound of arrows coming at you. And you have to layer all of that in to, to create a realistic and tension-filled scene. And they did it all in his garden. And, it's, I, I, and I watched it. I thought... Oh, God, I wish I'd been there. <laughs> the job of a Foley artist sounds like the most fun and random job ever. The number of like weird things you have to do to get a certain sound. I would really like to try doing it, actually. <laughs> it, it's great. And so, for instance, you know, the sound of thunder since the beginning of time has been done with just a metal sheet being wobbled. And you can't beat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are certain sounds that just land. Yeah. Know? And the sound of horses' hooves on cobblestones. Two coconuts going, you can't beat it. <laughs> it. It works every time. Is is there like a sound that's the hardest to make? Do you know? Oh, I, don't, I mean, it was a long time ago that I did it. Um, 
Oh, you can you can fake anything. Seriously, <laughs> if you've got bubble wrap, if you have bubble wrap or, or just a plastic bag and you can scrunch it, you can create snow, walking on snow. Uh, you can create um, rain. You can do, yep, do anything. Yeah. Just with a with a with a plastic bag. Um, so one day at BFM we must do a radio play. <laughs> we do. Yes, we should. We Let's should. Do it. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you do you remember that movie? Um, what was it? Uh, War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, that yeah. was basically awesome about words. them creating the sounds for yeah. the radio play mm-hmm. that that sent America into a panic. Yeah, back in the right? 30s. Yeah, so realistic that people were were terrified. Yeah, and, and and it was quite fascinating that movie because of uh, what they were doing within the confines of the uh, recording studio mm. and the the imaginations that they were igniting all over the country. I mean, like, yeah, in yeah. terms of uh, the power of sound. Absolutely. I always used to say this um, on Clubhouse, which I really liked uh, being a part of when it was in its heyday <laughs> last year, um, how it was such a powerful app because of the power of sound, uh, the sound of voices, uh, people talking in spontaneity and spontaneous response to various things um, gave it an authenticity and honesty that um, you couldn't find anywhere else. So, yeah. yeah. And sound. then if you added to that, though, to the sound of coconuts being clacked together, it would have sounded like those conversations were happening on horseback. <laughs> <laughs> and that just would have been that much better. Uh, and you could have put in some neighing of horses too, yeah? Well, uh, we're gonna oh, thinking there. I'm not sure how to do that one. We're going to Monty Python it. Yeah, Yeah, Monty Python it. So my challenge to you uh, listeners out there is to make a radio play and make all the sounds. It's fantastic. Everyone's everyone's just got to bang some coconuts together. (laughs) Bubble wrap and plastic bags and you can do anything. Anything. I'm going to look for some bubble wrap next. Yeah. 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 So um, we move on though. Uh, But in a moment when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about memes in our culture here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, Vernon Adrian Among, and Danya Naya. And now, Danya, topic debut, memes in our culture. Yeah, so I really want to talk about this because of what's happening with the Minions movie. Um, so for those who don't know, um, the Minions movie just came out over the weekend. And it I think it's like one of the biggest movies to open on a 4th of July weekend. It earned like some 200 million US dollars or something over just three days. And it was really just because of these groups of boys just kind of going to the cinema dressed in suits. Uh, Their conduct wasn't the best, um, but we won't really go into that. But the thing I I wanted to sort of point out was that it really came from a meme. Like a meme that was sort of innocuous, um, drove this kind of behavior and drove the money to this. So it really got me thinking about how much memes have evolved because when I think of memes, um, it kind of reminds me of a fringe community on the internet where people would just create images or videos with sort of inside jokes. Because that's what memes are. Memes are generally just inside jokes that bring together a collective of people. And it used to just be 4chan, 9gag, Reddit, Tumblr, all you know, all your favorite kind of websites. I don't know about your favorite, but all those kind of websites anyway. So to me, it's interesting to see how it's become a part of our culture because it's sort of become, I mean, we're just basically using memes to deposit units of culture, really. Um, the way that things don't have, again, sort of like um, what Vernon said earlier with his shopping, that it's breaking barriers because something that came from the US can travel to India 
And it's sort of the same photo maybe, but the meaning has changed. Um, and it also has sort of become, I think one of the main changes that sort of I feel is in terms of communication. Um, a lot of my friends, we don't call, we don't text, we just send a meme. <laughs> because, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And people have sort of kind of, they don't talk anymore. I think it's it's interesting because it sort of asks the question of, is there space for meaning on the internet anymore? People are so used to just seeing a photo, um, taking whatever, like a text from there and just copying it and sending it on to someone else that I sort of thought about whether, how is this going to affect things like language and how people write books? How, you know, what's going to happen with that? Because even... If you think about advertising and politicians, even they are getting into uh, the meme game. Uh, the latest Australian election, Scott Morrison, there were so many memes about him. Uh, if you want to talk about Malaysia, our former prime minister, who I won't mention by name, but has uh, you know gone and used the Bosco thing as a meme, and that's pushed his sort of popularity, I guess. So I, I wanted to ask you guys how you feel about memes. How do you guys interact with memes, and what does it mean to you? Vernon? Okay, well, um, this is very interesting because it, it's uh, it's right up my street, so to speak, communication. Um, memes have always been there. We've called it mnemonics. And so the catchy word for it is memes, uh, things that actually uh, communicate um, a concept, a context, a message, you know, a feeling um, in the most uh, convenient way. And uh, what has happened is that because you could say desktop publishing or you know computer graphics is now in the hands of uh, more and more and more people they are able to actually uh, you can say create or um, modulate this mnemonic creation much better than how that, than what was available to people before i think it's a uh, part of uh, part of the development of uh, mankind so to speak as as they become more and more technologically savvy uh, how will it affect language? Well, you know, the the one word that has cropped up in a lot of conversations and speaking, uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of ideas is that of uh, nuance. So I guess for some of us, you know, we get the full-on meaning of, of something that's sent out. And for the rest of us, maybe it may escape us because we don't have the same lived experience. Um, so that's the only kind of like thing, but it happens in ordinary language as well, where some people get it and some people don't. And the ones who are within a particular community would get it better than the others who are not part of that community. So, yeah. I, I don't know if I agree with you entirely there, uh, Vernon, and I, I, we rarely disagree. With Vernon. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> Go I, on then. I think that with uh, the memes, the kind that, that Danya is talking about with the, the minions type thing is that... Um, Everybody gets it. And I, I think that you mentioned, you know, it could be a big thing in India and, and a big thing in, in America. Sure, it, there would be a, some cultural difference, but it's not like by the time it gets to India, they, they're actually talking about Prime Minister Modi or something. No, I mean, it, it's still the same thing. But, um, and I think that memes are a way of being able to communicate very clearly. I have had experiences on the net when I'm, because I'm a person, you know, I sort of think I must speak in full sentences, you know, on the net and everything. And I'll write something and I, and then people get the wrong idea of it because I, in my head, I'm using my voice and I think I'm being sarcastic. But of course, when it's just written text, it's the literal, it's literally true. So 
people people can only draw that conclusion. Whereas with a meme, because now we use with emoticons and all that kind of thing, you can actually be very specific with what you're putting over. So I think it's actually leading to a kind of a univer a, a more global clarity of um, communication, which will not translate to big thick books. You, you can't do a, it. I mean, I, I do worry, Daniel, about the future of big thick books and people reading them. <laughs> it, you know? Yeah, it's quite scary to think about actually. And and I think another thing that's a bit uh, scary when I, when I sort of um, I watched a documentary about uh, memes and. One of the things that someone pointed out is no one really knows that um, they don't really care about the origin of a meme because once a meme goes out, really, it's mm. a free for all for anyone to sort of use it for however they want to in any context. But a, a lot of the memes, especially in the early days, sort of came from a place of um, where they were sort of doing subconscious discrimination or racial discrimination. And mm. people have become sort of a weapon because they're sort of spreading things that they may not really know what what it really means. So I, I think that's a bit a bit concerning as well as a digital propaganda tool. I mean, we talked about it being used in, in politics as well. And I think when we you know, we're talking about GE15 and everything coming, I'm wondering if we're going to see like a bunch of memes pop out, in, maybe in the Malaysian culture, but I, I kind of, it concerns me. I don't know what, what you guys think about that. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It, it mm. should it should concern us, and uh, yeah, it's the uh, it's the uh, misinformation disinformation practices that go on um, to confuse us, to lead us up the garden path, to even distract us from things that are a lot more important. And this is where I guess you know uh, the it comes down to education, how we educate our young um, to consume these 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 uh, this kind of information. You know, um, to be able to have a mindset that is more critical. Um, to be able to be more circumspect in what we do with the stuff that we receive so that we're not viralizing things that are untrue and adding fuel to the fire, so to speak. I can't imagine how you would educate that. I, don't, I can't imagine how you could possibly do Well, it, that. It, it really is about making people take a step back rather than just reacting on an emotion, you know? And that comes from a lot of stuff that school does for you, which is the exposure to different kinds of stimuli so that you begin to realize that sometimes your first reaction isn't the best reaction for, for the moment, you know? So it is about education. It is about criticality of thinking. Mm. And uh, we need to constantly remind ourselves um, that it's not as gloomy as it seems that we can actually come around to controlling how we react to these things. Yeah, well, I'd like to see any government come along and, and support a course on, on uh, you know, combating disinformation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, uh, you know, the, the uh, education in, in the West, in certain, you know, Western countries, um, allow for the humanities to take the lead as much as STEM. And that is where, I guess, you know, uh, certain life, life habits or life skills you know, will put us in a better place than just reacting with knee-jerk reactions, yeah. you know? And I, I would imagine that, certainly for me, and perhaps for Vernon, uh, the, the memes of which you speak, Danya, are, are not, <laughs> not a huge kind of part of uh, our landscape, certainly not mine. But is it pretty, is it a bit, I mean, do you feel now a lot of communication um, and a lot of storytelling and connections with other people is being done Exclusively in this almost non-verbal language. I, I definitely feel so because a lot of, I have more than one friend who I don't really sort of uh, send a sentence or a text anymore. I will just sort of send a meme 
and then you kind of just send like the obligatory like ha 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 and then you send another meme back yeah. so it it definitely has become the language of a generation i would say in some sense yep um and i think the point about Vernon saying about educating um people i when i when you said that i was sort of thinking about how it might be a bit difficult to do that with the newer generations because um you know a lot of them are chasing social media clout because that's what they've sort of learn from their environment that that's what people do you try and get social media clout and memes are one of the easiest ways to sort of get that because a meme is so easy to go viral um so i i think in a sense it's only going to develop further from here it's definitely um i i think it also goes back to a generational thing where some people um don't like talking on the phone don't like doing text yeah, message yeah. people don't, don't like, like writing letters they don't like writing letters it's sort of a thing about Communication is very awkward and uncomfortable <laughs> for us. Yeah. I'd like to speak on behalf of my generation. Uh, no, but seriously, Daniel, is that, do, do you think that? <laughs> I, I sometimes feel like I would prefer to be alone with a book than outside talking to people or talking with someone. Um, okay, if, if, I may, if I may add, I have, I've got a lot of nibblings who are perhaps maybe Dania's age, okay? Nibblings as nephews and nieces. And it's gotten to a point where I'm not expecting them to reply to my WhatsApp messages. You know, because I know they are reading it, but they're not responding the way us boomers do. You know, we are like so happy to receive a WhatsApp message. We'll just send another paragraph back, um, that kind of thing. Um, but, but, but yes, the, the new generation, um, I guess it's a reaction to the overload of, uh, you know, stuff coming in. And so there's a different way of consuming stuff. And yes, I get a lot of memes from them. And very often I have to send a question to them saying, can you tell me what this really means? <laughs> <laughs> oh, grand and it's, and yeah, it's actually it's actually an intercultural, an intercultural moment. You know, it really yeah. is, and yeah. uh, we need to be prepared for that. We're all living in different kinds of, you know, uh, um, terrain and landscapes, and so and 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 things are moving along so fast that people are just kind of like you know grabbing at something and throwing it to the next person, hoping it'll land. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, right, we have to be careful and think about whether we, react, we, we are reacting in the best way possible. So that's what I meant by about being circumspect and being, you know, reflective about yeah stuff. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I would say that, for instance, I, that, that, that meme uh, that really comes to mind is that, that one with the, the boyfriend or the girlfriend walking away and then the, the oh, boyfriend yeah. is looking, looking back, back. At, this, the, at the girl and it's a set of, but it just could be just one image, couldn't it? Yeah. And uh, and it could be used time and time again. And it's actually a it actually is a really good uh, image to be able to to come talk dialectics almost. But the um, but I'll finish with one thing. So Vernon was talking about the the intergenerational mix mishaps and how Danya is is concerned about her own generation. But Edin Koo on this <laughs> show, who is by no means a member of the the youth generation. He he was saying he likes to communicate when he's writing on on his phone proper sentences, commas, umlauts, and you know the whole thing. <laughs> so he he sends a, a message to his mother, which is all perfectly constructed, and then she just replies K. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, and and, and he's it. just so disgusted. <laughs> my, my own mother. <laughs> so anyway. Um, Twas ever thus. So uh, we we move on now to um, the final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Vernon goes first. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, I'm going to recommend people 
go and see Mat Kilau. Okay. Okay. Um, the reason is, I think that um, everybody needs to see it so that we can have more varied reactions to it. Okay. Um, is it a good movie? Well, like I said, one hour, 40 minutes of it was fight scenes. Uh, the other 20 remaining minutes was maybe some dialogue. Most of it was declarations of Malayness. I won't say supremacy, but Malayness, the, the, the spirit. Yeah. Um, we should also see Mat Kilau and another Malaysian movie. Please go and see two Malaysian movies. One being Mat Kilau, which is the biggest blockbuster so far Malaysia has ever had. Okay and another Malaysian movie, and then compare the two, and let's have necessary conversations about the states of Malaysian movies, perhaps maybe why Mat Kilau is so popular, and why everything else just pales in comparison. I think it's really important that we become more critical, yeah, and think about what's going on. <laughs> was it a, a full cinema when you were there? It was definitely two-thirds full on a Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m. What? Oh, that's pretty good for a local film. For any yes. film. It was it was two thirds, yeah, two thirds film. Yes. Why are those people at work? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, lots of students, lots of families too, you know, going in to see it. Yeah. So please, it's uh I'm recommending it not because it's a great movie. I'm recommending it because of its effects on the Malaysian population and specifically a part of the population and the rest of us perhaps maybe need to know why it's happening and yeah. perhaps yeah yeah i, I yeah i there yeah. Th that's it that's all i'm gonna say yeah. i mean i haven't actually been to the cinema for so long um for years now oh like, yeah well I, this is a good time I, good I went and saw spilled gravy that's a motion movie so i should oh, i yeah. should follow it up with that okay all right I'll go yes yes it. yes and then yeah. and then perhaps compare the two yeah and talk okay. about it yeah all right okay. important so that's the recommendation. Go watch uh, Go Mat Kilau and another Malaysian movie. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my recommendation is completely different. Which <laughs> <laughs> is the great thing about better culture. My recommendation is Tour de France. <laughs> oh. Ooh. Yeah. Tour de France. Okay. I'm just going to keep saying it. Tour de France. <laughs> Tour de France. Uh, cycling race Tour de France happens yeah. every year in uh, the month of July. And it's fantastic. It's just begun. It's... Um, at the time of recording, I think we've just had six stages. It's in. It, it takes place over three weeks. It's a completely exhausting, holistic experience when you um, fall into it, and you can you can absorb it in many different ways. I mean, there have been times when I've watched every minute. A couple of years when I watched every minute of every stage, and that's like real dedication. That's that's hundreds of hours. Um, now I tend to I read about it a lot. And I listen to a wonderful podcast called the uh, Cycling Podcast. And I, I may watch one or two stages. What's the name of the podcast on cycling again that you listen to? It's uh, simply called The Cycling Podcast. Okay. Um, I want to be, be absolutely sure. Yeah, The Cycling Podcast. Um, it's really wonderful, actually. It's, it's a great podcast uh, if, if you have any interest in cycling. Um, or anything. I mean, it's just, it's just really good. Oh, so found it. Found it. <laughs> Yeah, so my recommendation is, oh yeah, all right, I would recommend the Cycling Podcast as well. But the Tour de France, it's it's amazing. And one of the great things about the Tour de France is, I'm not going to talk too long, all right? Take that look off your face. I <laughs> I see you. Um, is um, is the helicopter shots. 
they they get a particular crew of of helicopter specialists from Switzerland who are like the, the best of the best and they give them free reign to film this and it's just it's so clever the way they film it and some of the shots they construct they create just through these helicopter shots of people on bicycles in the middle of France they create this epic quality fooling you visually that this thing is more important than it really is but it's yeah it's, yeah but uh, say magnifique, as we say, <laughs> en France. Uh, yeah, uh, helicopters <laughs> or drones? Were they no, the helicopters. Helicopters, okay. for sure. Helicopters. Okay. Because the cyclists just whiz past. So if you put up a drone, uh, they're gone. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what yeah, do I do yeah. with this drone now? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, do watch it. And, um, yeah, I can't force you to watch it, but I wish I could. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I'm, I'm definitely going to... I can't make any promises, Cam. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't expect it. <laughs> when the three weeks are over, Danya, and the, what, 20-odd stages are done, the 100 hours of cycling, I will send you a meme. <laughs> <laughs> just so you can explain to me what happened. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just condense it into one image. Uh, okay, so uh, Danya, what's your recommendation? All right, so I'm going to recommend that everyone go watch Minions. No, don't watch the Minions. <laughs> um, so I want to recommend this documentary on Netflix. It's called, uh, it's a bit old. It's a fire festival. You might have heard about it. Yeah. Um, I, I've been shying away from it. Is it good? It's good. I, I think it's a very, very interesting documentary to watch because it's sort of, um, it kind of ties back to the memes, actually, because it sort of shows you how an event can be made by social media and at the same time sort of broken by social media. There's another documentary about it on Amazon, but I prefer, and I've seen both, but I prefer the Netflix one. But you feel free for anyone to go and watch both if you have the time. I, okay, I, I just want to... I just yeah. want to say it's fire spelt with a Y, right? Yes, F-Y-R-E. fire spelt with a yeah. Y. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I think Got it's it. sort of um, also kind of... Um, it, the, I mean, the festival started because of this sort of demand, again, uh, for connecting to Vernon's topic about online, using a, a booking app to uh, sort of book singers and actors and everything, entertainment artists um, who are sort of like top tier um, people, not like the B grade, C grade kind of artists, but, you know, top tier ones. Um, and that kind of translated into a scam. And I think it's it's really wow. interesting um, to watch because you sort of see how easily people are deceived by hype. Of a hype mm. over something, um, it, it's really because I think if it also kind of makes me think about how I would react if someone had said, "Hey, you want to go for this really sort of exclusive uh, festival? You know, it's going to be so great, it's going to be so posh." Um, so yeah, I think I think it's a good way to sort of <laughs> examine your own sort of self at the same time, but also just a, a general idea of what's going on on the internet, social media, all those good stuff. I, I think I must have misunderstood the fire thing because uh, I, I don't know, spoiler alert or something, but um, <laughs> I was under the impression that it was it was it didn't originate as a scam that they actually did think they were going to put on a festival. Uh, they did, but then they sort of towards the end when they realized they couldn't. Okay, spoiler alert, guys. <laughs> towards the end <laughs> when they couldn't when they realized they couldn't um, put on the fire festival, it sort of turned into a scam because they kept lying to people about what they were gonna get. And he, they started losing money, so you know they lied about, uh, you know, lied about things so they could get more money, basically. Yeah. And and that's how many kind of Ponzi schemes and uh, fi- financial scams begin. Mm, yeah, with yeah. the best of intentions, but then it's like, okay, we yeah. can't, yeah, we can't make a fortune. Let's just lie. <laughs> but it, it's really, really entertaining. I hundred percent okay. recommend it. All right, all right, you've persuaded me because I keep seeing. Okay. <laughs> do it, do it, Cam. 
All I'll right. send you a meme too about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to definitely watch it. It's fascinating. It sounds fascinating. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. Because, uh, yeah, and then we'll send memes because that's how we roll <laughs> these days. 40 minutes of radio? No way. Um, so, well, that brings us to the end of this week's show. And it only reminds me to thank uh, Vernon Adrian Among. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Great to have you here. And our debutante, who I think has been magnificent. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, can we tempt you again, Danya? Oh, I, I would say yes in a heartbeat. Oh, ah, good one. Okay. <laughs> so that was Danya Naya. And uh, thank you so much. And myself, Cam Rusland. And so please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.